everyone, and thank you for listening to Subject to Interpretation. Hosted by Augustine De La Mora. My name is Claudia. And my name's Kayla. And we are the producers of this program. Before we get into today's interview with special guest Natalia Ferreira, conference interpreter who was also recently elected as the new secretary of AIC, we wanted to bring you the latest announcements from De La Mora Interpreter Training. And to remind you, if you found us on Facebook, we'd like to let you know that you can download us directly to your phone wherever podcasts are available. Now on to some more exciting news. First, we are happy to announce our next monthly webinar will be taking place on October 27th, presented by our very own Agustin de la Mora. This webinar will be addressing the interpreter's four agreements. Join us and find out how four simple statements can make a world of difference in your day-to-day interpreting activities. Through our student membership, you will have access to all webinars for only $19 a month, or you can purchase the one webinar for $45. Also, don't forget our annual Finding the Parallel Summit is returning here in Orlando November 9th, 10th, and 11th. Take advantage of the early bird registration price before time runs out, and don't forget Florida interpreters can earn their 16 CIE credits all in one weekend. Don't miss out on this rewarding educational opportunity. And for more information, all details will be included in the description below. Now stay tuned for next week's podcast featuring Osvaldo Aviles, who is the Interpreter Program Administrator at the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts. And last week we asked you once again to send in your questions for us to answer on air. And here are the top three questions. So first, how can I access past webinars? You can access all of our webinars through your student membership, once again, which is $19 a month. Not only will you have access to live webinars every month, you will also have access to the library of webinars that have taken place already this year. Or you can purchase a one-time webinar access for $45, to which you will have the recording to view over and over again. Okay, and do you offer language-neutral court training? Yes, we do. Our next language-neutral court interpreter training, uh, live online, will be taking place this December, December 11th, so don't miss it. It is our very last language-neutral court interpreter training class of the year. And do you offer community or immigration interpreter training? Actually, this one is really exciting for us to, to announce because the answer is yes. For the first time, we will be offering community and immigration interpreter training next year, so stay tuned. Although the schedule has not been published on our website yet, it will be soon. We appreciate you all for listening in, and we pride ourselves in being one of the very few podcasts for inter- professional interpreters out there. So please share us with all of your colleagues. We would love to hear your questions and feedback, and we will continue to be answering your frequently asked questions here on the podcast. So please feel free to contact our office, and you will most Most likely likely speak speak to to one one of us. us. (laughs) Until next week, now enjoy the interview with Natalia Ferreira. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Subject to Interpretation, our podcast where we share with all of our listeners Uh, the stories and the comments and the good information provided to us by many of our distinguished guests. And uh, today I'm very proud and happy and honored uh, to have another very distinguished guest. Uh, We 
We're batting a thousand, as far as I know, uh, on guests. And today we have Natalia Ferreira. And Natalia Ferreira is the regional director for AIC USA. And uh, I will let her tell us who she is. So welcome, Natalia. How are you doing? Thank you so much for this uh, great opportunity to speak to your audience. Uh, it's, it's a privilege and an honor for me. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm the regional secretary. We have, okay. uh, yeah, we have a chairman, we have a president, which is Aito Auras Chapman. He's a United States, the United Nations, actually, staff interpreter. Myself, as the regional secretary, we have Ciro Fledov, which is, uh, who is our webmaster, based in San Francisco, private interpreter. Um, and we have Amy Tsang, who is our treasury, and Amy is also based in, um, she's actually based in, New York State, actually. So we are four, and we are the regional bureau. Uh, I was recently elected, it was in March that I was elected as regional secretary. I am taking this position, it's, of course it's a voluntary position, I'm taking this very seriously. I'm really, really happy with what I'm doing, and I want to reach out to as many conference and interpreters as I can who are non member of AIC to explain exactly who we, we are, what we do, uh, how to become a member, and also trying to demystify this idea that AIC, it's a very, uh, a, it's a club. No, no, we are not. We are a professional association, which was founded uh, more than 65 years ago. As a matter of fact, it was in 1953, right, right. after the Nuremberg the trials. Nuremberg and uh, Natalia, uh, I I want you to talk to all about that, but I really would like uh, to start by asking you, how did you become an interpreter? I think it's uh, very important, as you probably know, many of us come from many walks of life, and every time I ask somebody, hey, you know, when you were a kid, did you want to be an interpreter? And most of them have told me, no, I wanted to be a fireman, an astronaut, a ballerina, but uh, very few of us started this path by thinking we're going to be interpreters when we grow up. Did you have that idea when you were growing up? No, no, not really. As uh, I'm an attorney, uh, mm -hmm. I, I studied law in Brazil. I'm from Brazil. Mm -hmm. And I went to law school there. After that, I after I graduated, I lived for two years in, in Europe, in the Netherlands, and then in Brussels. Uh, when I came back, I um, pursued a master's degree in um, international affairs and diplomacy in the university, the university in the south of Brazil. Uh, Florianópolis was the name of the, of the city where I lived for three years. Really, really nice. Had 42 mm -hmm. beaches. <laughs> 42? Uh, wow, yeah, it's I an island. We had a lot of beaches here in Florida. <laughs> you have a beach. Yeah, it's, it's an island. Yeah, it was, mm -hmm. was a wonderful time of my life. Um, so after I graduated, um, tell me a little bit of my story so I can get to the point of how and when and why yeah. I became an interpreter. So after I graduated, after I finished that master in, in Florianópolis, I moved back to Rio and I was hired to work as a legal consultant for um, a think tank that was recently created by the Coca-Cola company. Um, that offered uh, 
research, pretty much was research and um, education, educational materials and information about solid waste management and recycling for the municipality of Rio and all other, uh, in other parts of Brazil as well. And um, so I worked for this think tank and that's how I met my husband. Uh, he was the the president of the think tank and the first environmental manager of the Coca-Cola Brazilian division. That's how I met him. Mm-hmm. And this is important because that's why I moved to the States. <laughs> so in 1998, he was offered a position at corporate uh, Coca-Cola corporate in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So we moved to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, but we had a short assignment. His contract was going to be from three to five years. So, and I, at that time, I was teaching environmental law um, at a university in Rio. And I, my plan was to, you know, go back with, with another degree. So I started um, studying. I got into the PhD program at Georgia Tech in public policy. Um, mm-hmm. But then things, you know, life got in the way. Yes. It doesn't matter the plans you make, right? Um, right. And we decided that was, it was the PhD was going to take me a long time, and then I had to go back and take some of the uh, classes from the master program, and things were not going down well for him at Coca-Cola. Uh, we had an opportunity to be relocated, move back to Brazil, or... Uh, become locals, which means uh, don't be expats anymore. So I decided, okay, better finish with something, another, a degree that is shorter, right? So I ended up finishing with another master's degree in public policy. We decided to stay in the U.S. Uh, Coca-Cola gave us a green card. And then anyway, after I graduated from Georgia Tech in 2003, I was, you know, looking for a position, looking for a job and the reality of the market in Atlanta for international organizations, the kind of thing that I was planning to do was very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta is now a much more international city, but at that time, almost 15 years ago, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't travel. I had this kind of limitation because my kids were little and my husband was traveling. He was all over the world. So... I started working at a, at a kind of a non-profit, which was very, very interesting in Atlanta. And uh, the mission of this non-profit was to educate the American people about international issues. And we would do that by providing uh, and, and doing in-house uh, books about specific regions of the world. Let's say we'd pick Latin America and we'd hire an expert that would write the book and also with activities for high school teachers and social study teachers mainly, and we trained those teachers. So it was fascinating. It was really, it was a great opportunity. I didn't make much money, but I was so, so happy, and I felt really uh, accomplished. I left this, this organization. They were not doing very well financially, and I, by chance, one friend at that time asked me if I didn't want to go replace her at a conference at the CDC. And I tell that because we all have to start, and I'm not ashamed to tell my story, because we all have to start one way or the other, right? And I went to replace someone. I would not even say that this person was a professional interpreter because he left on the second day and never came back. Hmm. Hmm. I can sympathize. She was alone for one day. You know, this is totally unacceptable. Um, and I 
got in there and then I realized with myself, oh, what I'm doing here, I can't actually do this kind of job because it's very hard. Mm -hmm. But I could do it when one of the presenters start speaking in Portuguese, I was able to put it into English and then all of a sudden I was into it. I, you know, I think I, some people, they, they might have a natural talent and I honestly, I think it's my case. But I didn't stop there. So that's how I started. And I started with one particular agency in Atlanta. We became friends. I work a lot for them. Uh, Universal Language Solutions, the name of the agency. Giovanna and Carlos Solis. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, I decided, you know, I really love this. It is fascinating. It's so interesting. You learn so much. And you have this kind of... Of freedom, you know, I can be the owner of my own time, and I was a very crucial moment in my life when I was trying to decide what I'm going to do, and and I found that career path, and it was something unique for me, special. So I decided that I so I started researching and researching, and I joined ATA, and I found out about AIC, um, and I set a goal for myself. I said I want to become a conference level interpreter. I want to work for international organizations. I want to work for the State Department. That's what I want to do. Of course, I started really in the beginning. I did a lot of medical and community interpreting as well because we have to acquire the experience and the knowledge and the practice. Um, And this is all valid. I see this as a, a very valid experience for me. And so in 2011, I decided that I needed to to do some kind of professional development courses. I needed to brush up. I needed to improve. So I went to Cambridge. Uh, Mm. In Cambridge, in the UK, they have a very good and very interesting um, course, which is called Cambridge um, Interpretation Course. It's CCIC if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I was there for two weeks. It's very it's super intense. Super it's intense. Extremely intense. Yes. It's, it's, it's almost like an immersion. You were there. You, you, I was staying at the hotel where the, the training was going on. It's from 8 o'clock to almost 6 o'clock. And working with uh, interpreters from all over the world, pretty much. Very international. The instructors were high level, like NATO, uh, one was a senior director, senior interpreter from NATO. Uh, some of them worked the European Parliament, OECD, you know, super United Nations, of course, State mm-hmm. Department as well, very high level. And I, you know, absolutely loved that experience. Um, so after that, in all of them were IEC members. I, I continued working and working and doing, you know, private conference here and there. And, yeah, that's pretty much how I, you know, got to the stage where I am. And I was, I have to say that I was really, really lucky and fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with amazing colleagues, you know, senior level colleagues who were extremely generous and they opened a lot of doors for me because they were able to see that I was dedicated, that I would, that I would always prepare myself, that I would study, and, and that, I, then I, that I was competent, I was professional, I would right. deliver uh, at a, a, very, a, very, a very good level. So, and I say, I say that because I'm extremely grateful. To, and I, 
I can mention some of them. One of them has passed away a few years ago. Laurie Barros, he was, mm -hmm. and in um, other colleagues from the in, from the from the IMF, um, Stella Zaffaroni. Yeah. So I'm I'm honestly extremely uh, thankful for the colleagues that were that were uh, kind and yeah. generous and and helped me through this way. So yeah, it it, it resounds with me because I I think that. Uh, that has been my experience in, you know, now everything is a, a community. So the interpreter community, that has been my experience. That uh, most of the time you're very well received. People are willing to help you out, to teach you, to take you under their wing. There is no uh, animosity or, uh, on the contrary, I mean, the first time I worked a booth, my booth mate was so generous because I had never worked a booth before and it, and he sat me down and showed me the ropes and told me if you need anything just push the button I'll take over and it was very very uh, interesting to see that kind of cooperation in it when I came to the States the uh, idea was that everything was very competitive and nobody wanted you to succeed. I didn't find that at all, in, and apparently you didn't either in our field. So then also now you're, you're learning all these things. So which of all those things you mentioned did you get certified on first? Did you go to the State Department and get a certification there, or did you come and uh, become an IEC member first? What was your uh, path? Uh, first of all, I became a certified uh, court interpreter in the state of Georgia. That was mm -hmm. my first goal. Um, and then um, the State Department and I applied and I was I passed the, the seminar level exam. Mm -hmm. um, the State Department, they don't have a certification program. You were just a credit. You were just mm -hmm. a credit uh, as a seminar level, year administrative interpreter or conference level. A few years mm -hmm. later, after working a lot as a seminar interpreter, and I absolutely adored those projects because you get to travel, get to uh, visit a lot of places in the U.S. that you would uh, not go, you know, if you didn't, you didn't have even a know existed, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes. Like... Um, one place that I went that I absolutely thought it was fascinating, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you know, mm -hmm. I could visit the Grand Tetons, um, mm -hmm. so Yellowstone, so it was, was beautiful. And, and so a few years later, I passed the conference level exam. So I work as a, as, as, as a conference level as well, as well as a seminar interpreter for the State Department. That was pretty much my path. I entered AIC in 2013, uh, I worked with uh, wonderful colleagues that were uh, gracious enough to offer to sign for me. Um, mm -hmm. And now I have five years, so now I'm in the situation that I can sign for colleagues that I feel are competent, are professional, follow the, our working conditions and the rules of, of, of AIC and everything else. And, um, and then, as I said, last, last March, this March, our previous regional secretary, she had to move back to her country, Argentina, because her husband was as, as a diplomat, and they were moving back to, to Argentina. And so the position was vacant, and I decided to to apply. You know, we had an mm -hmm. election, and I and I won. Um, so that's 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 so, in a nutshell what I am. <laughs> right, and so then you come, you become a member of IEC, and I really want us to. Uh, get into that because I will be honest, I, I've been a federally certified interpreter for many years and from the outside looking in, I always heard that, oh my God, no, entering IEC, I mean, you have to have 
uh, all these friends because they don't want you to be a member and nobody wants you in there. It's an exclusive club and so on. And I'm pretty sure that's probably just rumors and and people that are uninformed about what it is. So why don't you tell us exactly what AIC is and is it true that nobody can make it in? Apparently some people can make it in because you make it in, right? You made it in. A lot of people can can make it in. It's 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 not an exclusive club. That's a I I understand and I know that a lot of people have this 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 idea of AIC, this perception. But it's honest. It's a misconception. It's it's not true. Uh, it is a peer review association. It is indeed. It's not a, like a self-proclaimed association that you say I am on a conference interpreter. There's no way that anyone can uh, attest for that. No, AIC mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. So it's an association. We have around three thousand professionals from every part of the world, members of AIC, and it means International Association of Conference Interpreters. That's what the the acronym stands for. As I said before, we it was founded in 1953 right after the Nuremberg trials, and you were in San Francisco, so you saw a little bit mm -hmm. of the exhibition, uh, the, the history of all those. Fascinating. It, wasn't it? It's fascinating oh, yeah. when you read about all these people, and, and so that's how it started, pretty much. And Aik, you know, we are, uh, it's around 65 years that we are around, um, what do we do? You know, it's an association that tries to promote good training practices through its best practice recommendations. And we have also a list of interpretive schools. And we also try to advise people that are interested in becoming an interpreter, what you need to know about the profession. Um, and we want to tell people that it's not that complicated to become a member. You know, it's, um, you can start if you, all you need to do, you can start as a pre-candidate if you are an established conference interpreter and you can, again, start as a pre-candidate. You only have three people that, colleagues, that will just sign saying, you know, I, I know that so-and-so works as a conference interpreter. And then you, through your work, through your experience with the job opportunities that you might encounter, you can be uh, lucky enough to work with another AIC colleague. And if this colleague realizes and sees that you are actually com competent and dedicated and a good, a good candidate uh, for us to, to, be, to join our association, I'm sure that colleague will most likely sign for you. So you need um, you need three three colleagues to sign for you, and all they need to sign for your A language. The A language it's the language that you are native on. It's your mother tongue. It's the language that you can speak. Uh, you know that you're raised in, and then you have your B language. Uh, your B language it's the language in which you. You speak fluently, you know, like, for instance, in my case, will be English. And you can also have C languages. In my case, I have Spanish and I have French, which are the language that you interpret from into your A language. A or B? Into only e A. Only, um, only A. Yeah, okay. the combination C to B, it's not recommended. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, I'm honestly not the best person to give all this kind of advice. 
advices because I'm new as a regional secretary, but, you know, I can recommend you to look into our website where you can have all the information necessary to, to on how to become an IEC member. But pretty much that's how, that's how it works. That's how you did it. That's how exactly. You did it. That's how I did it. That's how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to make it clear for everyone, because not everybody, as a matter of fact, we're talking AIC, 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 but I know many of our listeners have never heard of AIC. I'll be totally honest, I have been interpreting in courts for years, and I had never heard of AIC until I went to Chicago one time, and one of our uh, colleagues, a federally certified interpreter, uh, Moira Pujols. Oh, Moira, yes, yes. yes. Uh, and I know that it's, it's kind of a very close-knit of AIC members. They know each other because we work conferences together all the time. So Moira uh, was the first person to mention to me AIC, and I didn't know about it. So AIC is not going to give you a certification. You're not going to say, I'm a certified AIC member. You're just a member, no. correct? Exactly. You're just a member, yes. Mm -hmm. It's an association that it's, um, its professional competence is highly recognized. You know, you can have access to a global network of colleagues, because as I said, we have 3,000 members in every all over the world, in every continent. And it's and we are divided by regions. For instance, United States, it's a region. It's the USA region. Canada is another region. And then you have Brazil, because it's such a big country, it's another region. Then the South America, Chile and Argentina, I think they are a region. The rest of... Um, of, of Latin America, South America is another region, and you have the the um, Central America in Mexico in the Caribbean region. So anyway, that's pretty much how it works. And we 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 get together a lot. We we have we had the beginning of the year in January. We have we had our general assembly, which was in Valencia, and so we had more than I think more than fifteen hundred. Um, 1,500, yes. Wow. Yes, 1,500 members uh, attending. Well, maybe maybe 1,000, not 1,500. But, you know, a lot of people participating and attending. It is, it is you know, it's, it gives us such this feeling of belonging, you know, that mm -hmm. you're part of a group, you're part of an association that's trying to defend your profession, your cause, and it's, it's, very, it's very fulfilling. That's how I see it. And mm -hmm. it's... I would assume that members promote each other quite a bit. Once you're a member of AIC and they tell you, do you know somebody that does Portuguese? You're going to say, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so because they're also members of AIC. Exactly, exactly. But not necessarily because they are members. I also work with colleagues that are no members and they are very competent, very professional. But unfortunately, never had an opportunity to work with an AIC member, you know? Got it. So they can't get in. But um, but most of the time, I try to recommend AIC colleagues because I know I mean I, I can vouch for them, uh, and so that's 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 part of that's I think that is the sense and that's the reason most people think we are an exclusive club. It's because we're always recommending the ones we work with, but it's it's not true. We are open. And we are honestly in the process of trying to change this perception. That's why after our regional meeting, we want to have more of these kind of reaching out uh, meetings all over the U.S. in order to welcome more members and have this kind of conversation. So how do you, you want to become a member? What do we know about us? I mean, the, the, the working conditions and how we think it's, 
the right way to 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 work you know what you should accept what you should not accept but of course it's a free market right mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. to be very careful with that because I cannot set rules about we cannot define rates we don't do that it's just a professional association and we you're trying to defend the best practices for our for ourselves, right? But what I what I do tell people about AIC is the fact that uh, I, uh, some years ago I was given a seminar for judges, and one of the judges finally said, "Well, Augustine, I get it. Now I understand why people should be certified court interpreters versus just anybody that says they can do it. I understand certification, but I have another problem." He told me, "Now I." I don't speak 72 languages, so I don't know if the interpreter is that good or not. And I told him precisely, son, uh, sir, when, uh, judge, when you go to a dentist, you also, you didn't study dentistry. You have to trust the fact that some association gave them some kind of credentialing. And because there's no specific credentials for uh, for conferencing interpreting, there's nothing better than AIC because AIC is kind of that peer review is giving you that confidence. These people have gone through some kind of vetting that is pretty uh, rigorous, I would assume, because it's peer reviewed. And you said that you have to work with three AIC members. Yes, and you have to have 150 days. Uh, Got it. 150 days of. Uh, working the conditions set up by AIC, like like a conference, a conference event in a booth and things like that. So, um, and again, it, we don't provide certification. It's just when you join, it's 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 almost like you've been recognized as a very good and professional um, mm -hmm. interpreter because mm -hmm. you were vetted by and vouched uh, by three uh, also recognized colleagues so that's how it works and i honestly i think it's it's fair i yeah. think it's a very fair system and we are, don't try to exclude anyone if you are a professional interpreter if you're competent if you follow the rules if you want to join yes if you have the days if you have the opportunity to work with colleagues that can vouch for you that can sign for you why not of please course. join us we need more volunteers we need <laughs> Well, that, that's good to hear. And also, if you become a member of AIC, is there a fee to become a member of AIC? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, in this, uh, it varies according to each region of the world, of course. Here in the United States, and this is set up by Geneva. As a mm -hmm. It's important to say that because the headquarter is based in Geneva, uh, in Switzerland. So, here in the US, it's around right? Because the price comes in Swiss francs. So mm -hmm. it's around $600 mm -hmm. annually. It's an mm -hmm. annual fee of $600. And for you to, that you have to pay. This is your um, annual dues that you have to pay. Yeah. Now I'm curious because, you know, be, becoming a member of AIC seems a very important, interesting thing. And it's a good path for interpreters who are going to be conference interpreters. But because it's peer reviewed, is there a possibility of somebody to be asked to leave AIC? Can you be kicked out of the association? I would assume if you don't pay, you get kicked out, but can you if be peer-reviewed out? Uh, if you, I think that if you don't pay, you know, you, we, send, uh, we send messages, you know, right. and you can be suspended, right? Mm -hmm. You can be suspended because you didn't pay. And then you, in order to rejoin, you have to pay all your... Uh, Arrears, right? All the dues mm -hmm. that are that are due, exactly. And uh, in, but if 
someone can be can be expelled in a way i think don't please don't quote me on that because i'm mm -hmm. honestly not the best person to provide this kind of answer um but i think you can if you're not if if for some reason someone denounces you because you're not following the the, the rules or procedure or mm -hmm. the IEC rules or something like this um I think it's possible. It is possible. Right. Yeah, and you can challenge it. And another thing, for instance, if a if a new candidate joins the association, and if you know for any reason you know that candidate, you know that that person might be a good interpreter, but however, professionally and ethically speaking, not a good candidate because you know because you have worked with him or with her in the past, you can challenge that. As an IEC member, Got you it. can challenge that. Got you know, it. so it, it's actually because it's a peer review, the power it's within the members. The members, right? Yeah. And the people you work with. Well, that that sounds very interesting. Now, I, I you know, we're already at the uh, thirty-minute mark, so I don't want to keep you because I know you have to go study for your conference. But I just uh, wanted to, to ask you one more thing. Sure. If, uh, is IEC gonna hold, or does IEC hold any? specific trainings for non-members and is the training does the training count for anything other than just being trained it does not get you closer to membership correct uh, no no it doesn't give you closer to membership at all as i said the process to join IEC to become a member is the one i explained before well yeah. we have recently created was well, actually last year we created a, a, a training committee so IEC usa we are start we have started this year to and actually was last year to offer trainings we had had a few trainings with a wonderful conference interpreter that she's based in brussels julia poger um how to market yourself is pretty much as a conference interpreter, how to negotiate contracts. We had it in, in February of this year. We had another one with Julia in July in New York. So we are actually trying to have more of these trainings in our seminar trainings. And these seminar trainings, they are open to the public, mm -hmm. to any conference interpreter that wants to participate. We give a discount for IEC members, but anyone no IEC members, if you want to participate, it's more than welcome. And we try to um, announce that and disseminate when we are going to have our trainings on our website most mm -hmm. of the time, in, in our newsletters as well, and we send a communication to, to non-members. Um, Wonderful. Well, I mean, anytime you want to send any... Uh, notification to us we'll be happy to put it on our website and publish it on our facebook and we do have a few hundred uh, maybe thousand uh, followers and uh, if i or anybody wanted to become a conference interpreter what's the first thing that you would say how do you go about it well i think you can if you want to become a conference interpreter if you you can apply to anyone, to some of the universities here in the U.S. that offer this kind of, of, of training as a as an undergrad or even as a graduate student. Uh, or you, I think that's the main the main way uh, how to become a conference interpreter. Like the, the Monterey Institute, they have a very well-recognized and very established undergrad and I think as a yes. graduate program as well in the University mm -hmm. of Maryland as well. So I think that's the main way. If you're young, you're Living just 
just graduated from college and you decide you want to become a conference interpreter, work on those international organizations, become a United Nations interpreter, that will be the clear path for you, I would say. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time, Natalia. I know you have to go, but I want, once again, I wanted to thank you and Aik for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And we want to open our, our doors to communication. We want to uh, be a, a bridge uh, between associations and luminaries and people who are important in the field. So feel free to come visit us any anytime you want. Thank you so much, Agustin. I really would like to... Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And uh, yes, same, same here with us. We'd like to continue to collaborating together and see how we can um, improve uh, our profession. Okay, well, thank you very much. Muito obrigado. De nada, um abraço. Mm. Tchau. Tchau.